Here we are on the last morning of our retreat. Contemplating uh, endings. Or maybe the mind's already, we've noticed uh, being drawn ahead to the next thing. Not to judge that, but to notice that. Not to be in too big a hurry, but to savor, give ourselves an opportunity to comprehend ending. This is a perfect retreat as one of our dear uh, friends and fellow monastic teachers, Ajahn Sajita, he said it's a perfect retreat. It's doing perfectly what all conditioned things do. Arises. This retreat was born. Aged. <laughs> little by little, breaking up. Decaying. And dissolving. What arises, ceases. first disciple of the, of the Buddha who understood when the Buddha gave that first teaching on the four ennobling truths. Uh, by the end of the talk, by the end of the teaching, uh, the Buddha noticed, oh, Kandanyo knows, Kandanyo knows. His Dharma eye had opened just right during the, the talk. His, his he had opened to that dharma eye that's within all of us, that unblinking luminosity, the ever-peaceful, original brightness, as he referred to it sometimes. Kondanyo realized that, tasted that. He still hadn't finished, but his dharma eye opened. He had what's called entered the stream. And, and then when the Buddha recounted what he had realized, he said, Kondanyo knows all that arises ceases. Everything that begins ends. Even just that recognition, that willingness to be humble enough to just notice the nature of this moment, that what comes goes, whether it's a retreat, a sound, having breakfast, that that recognition of the changing nature that Bowing into that, honoring that, can allow us to relinquish that uh, grasping that ever generates stress as we try to hold what can't be held. Try to find certainty in that which is not certain.
So soon the the flower of this the body of of uh, the form of this retreat we, we oftentimes compare to uh, a flower. It is flowered. Petals will start to drop off, and the winds of karma, winds of change, will blow us in different directions. And uh, hopefully the uh, seeds, seeds that we've uh, have been planted and nurturing in ourselves will will take root in the ground of of our daily lives. This is the advanced course uh, going home, but it's an opportunity, opportunity to be creative, to ponder, how can I gather this experience of my life into this contemplative heart, this aware heart, can I find skillful, skillful ways? And we think, oh, wow, I don't... So much to do, so busy. People would come to our teacher, Ajahn Chah, and just say, Lumpa, Lumpa Chah. I'm just so busy, I don't have time to practice. And you go, nah. You don't have time to breathe? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I have to. If we have time to breathe, if we have time for a moment, even a moment, let's not make too big a leap. Oh, well, if I can't be mindful 24-7 and do all the sitting and the walking, well, then there's, is it all or nothing? Actually, this, this uh, practice that we've been doing is, is deeply transportable. We've been cultivating a relationship with the essential elements of our being, our body, moments of mindfulness of the body, knowing whether we're standing, knowing whether we're sitting, knowing whether we're walking, knowing, receiving, whether we're having a cup of tea, Knowing when we're not, when we bounce off a wall or run into somebody, and oh, okay, and then returning, reestablishing that refuge. I go for refuge in a moment to that listening, to that mindfulness, to that connection, bringing the mind in contact, letting our thinking mind remind us, oh, I'm standing. I'm walking. Actually, I'm on a sidewalk. I've got to notice. That thought can remind us, bring the attention back to this form, this body, this circumstance, and this heart that receives for a moment. 
I used to regularly, after, after retreats, I, I'm someone who loves retreats. I just couldn't believe that there was a possibility in a life that had been so always getting somewhere, permission on retreat to be, to connect, to breathe out, to receive, to fill up. So then the, and then I would get so inspired and yes, 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 and then the going off retreat and almost sometimes even the first conversations. <laughs> and I would say something with enthusiasm and someone would turn away a little bit and I would think, did I do something wrong? Oh gosh, maybe I shouldn't have spoken. Um, Oh dear, and, uh, and then I'd already start wobbling in, where, where, where'd it go? Remembering this retreat are, are, is constructed. We've had circumstances, very blessed circumstances, to help us nurture this, this plant of, of our Dharma body. And sometimes uh, uh, it's almost inevitable that there'll be a loss of samadhi, you know, of the quality of gatheredness and maybe the refined experience of the body to some degree humming because it is appreciating the more sustained loving embrace of awareness with relatively speaking less uh, distraction. So, you know, it's, it's natural that that will that there'll be a loss of that. Remember, that's it's natural that there'll be states of calm, there'll be more states of agitation, states of more calm, states of more agitation. But the contemplative, the practitioner, learns from it all. And we can always, as we've been doing on the, the retreat, uh, return to, I can hear Ajahn Chah saying, Binyang Ni. He would say, it's like this. Are we too busy in our life to be able to, in a moment, think, Binyang Ni, it's like this. And for the heart to open for a moment and connect with how it is. And if there's agitation, Okay, then there can be knowing agitation. Can we find our body in the moment? Are we really too busy to breathe? <coughs> Not to undervalue a moment. Once the Buddha was, was giving a talk and talk about the punya, the blessed energy, the meritorious karma of making offerings. He even talked about making great offerings of gold and silver and wealth and offering food to others. And, but he said even more, more meritorious than that is making offering when you connect to a saint, to someone who's really wise, then that, that has more power. Then he went on and even the more, more uh, uh, blessed energy in, when one connects with and offers to even a wiser being in, even to a, to a Buddha, that there's a, it's like plugging into something really grand, and so you're reading this progression, 
and then and then the 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 Buddha talks about the the blessing the the punya the energy the karma that leads to whatever is wished for longed for that which nourishes happiness it's even more powerful he talked about when one is uh, committed to being kind and virtuous he goes on and on and on but right at the end the more powerful than all of it. The Buddha said, if one is aware even for a finger snap of change, even more powerful. Not saying it isn't good to do these good deeds. By all means, let's do it. But don't undervalue a moment of coming to it's like this and even noticing any shifting, any changing. Why is that so powerful? I mean, that's a lion's roar of a statement. Really? More powerful than all those other amazing deeds? Because sangsar, this endless wandering that makes those tracks go on forever out into the sand. We never get there when we're still concretizing, making everything seem so... Solid and real here is a desert, but I'm going to get there where it's successful, where it's sorted, where it is away from this big-time problem. And we keep going. A moment even of noticing things change is a moment of touching the heart that knows and recognizing that forms keep emptying themselves, keep shifting, changing. It's that movement to the arising and ceasing that recognizes the futility, the, the never-ending anguish of, of trying to find steadiness in what can't give us that. It's that poor hassling of the dear duck, telling and wondering why it isn't a rooster. Can we, in a moment of letting be, noticing, can we allow life to be what it is? Don't underestimate even a moment. Moment of seeing change. Moment of noticing how it is. And even if we, if when we come to a moment of how it is, oh God, it's a, it's an absolute mess. This is a nightmare. What else can we remember? Even if we come to a moment of it just feeling crazy, a nightmare. Even there is dukkha. Ah, there's suffering. Just remember, this is a noble truth. Ajahn Chah would, would, would look at us when we were really so unhappy about it. If it, if it was such a bad thing, would, would the Lord Buddha have recognized it as a noble truth? Even a moment of opening the heart, ah, oh, there is dukkha, this is dukkha moment of understanding and opening to it. Don't undervalue that. 
in a world where so often immediately it's finding out who's responsible and they are going to pay. (laughs) To a moment of opening to. I was feeling such I mean, I'm tired. My nervous system is very tired. But I was feeling such uh, love and appreciation for what uh, you've all, we've all done these these five days. Just feeling, wow, what a blessing to be with beings who are willing to be with that which is not easy to be with, willing to cultivate a moments of well-being that that draw on a wellspring that is so easily overlooked, a wellspring of life force and joy that comes from within, that comes from being here more and more courageously, patiently, kindly, mindfully learning to be here now. And, uh, you know, I really feel, we all, Tanisha and myself, Dara, just feel a lot of gratitude for the efforts, efforts that have been made. And that you're, you know, still here. How many times have we wanted to run away? I mean, I don't know about you, but Tanisha and I regularly. (laughs) It's too, our mantra sometimes in the morning, it's too difficult. (laughs) It's too difficult. But we rally and hear that, oh, there's Dukkha. It's it's cause, grasping, and there can be moments of letting it be, moments of tasting, tasting, touching peace. at home there's all sorts of things one can do that many of you already do but to, to, to remember instead of we get dismembered that's natural dislocated but remember bringing back together pondering having, having a, a regular pausing uh, uh, some kind of sitting oh I'm ahead of you there kitty sorrow two hours every morning Two hours <laughs> And on the weekends, we're talking four. That's wonderful. But also be careful. If, you know, we get so thrilled and then three and a half days in, collapse, bang. Oh, I knew it. I should have known. Yeah, they were pretty charismatic, but it's typical. I knew I should have done that other retreat. <laughs> When is an opening up? I'll get on the waiting list. (laughs) Um, Even be humble. Start modestly. Even five minutes. I'm not joking. Five minutes, ten minutes. Pause. You know what? I've got this to do and that to do. And even five minutes in the morning of sitting and feeling, but I've got this, I've got that. (laughs) Even to bless that, to touch that with recognition. 
or maybe even realizing there was this anxiety and dread that we had woken up with, that we hadn't really noticed, that can push us through the day. Can we bless it? We not only can know this is how it is, we can not only notice change, letting be, but we can also have a moment of embracing what's kindness. Even if it's five minutes of just craziness to be kind, to let be, not to add to the distress. Powerful. And again, there's two times when the Buddha talked about even just moments, how powerful it is. He talked about, as I told you, about seeing change. He did the same thing for moments of kindness. Even a finger snap. He said, when a practitioner practices kindness, even for a finger snap, or once he said, for the time it takes to pull a cow's udder. Now, I don't know about that. (laughs) That's a territory I am not familiar with. But I think it's a short time. (laughs) He said, you can call yourself a disciple of the Buddha. And you can eat the alms food when when you're a monk or nun. If people offer you alms food, uh, you, you, you can not worry that you're somehow not deserving of it. Even a moment of being kind. Because again, just like with a moment of seeing change, being kind in a moment is an opening of consciousness from the contracted, this is the good bit, that's the bit that is going to stay over there. (laughs) Building these walls, which might be all right for a moment, but when they get concretized, reified through our way of seeing, we get contracted, lose touch with the unified ground moment of allowing, stretching, being friendly with, even if it's not easy to be with, it's it's blessed. Don't undervalue those. Five minutes. And if possible, like even before going to bed. Oh no, I'm exhausted. And tomorrow, you don't know the number of meetings I've got. (laughs) And already my sleep time is diminishing. And oh God. And so then we crash Five minutes even of feeling the panic, worrying, what will, will I be able? Will I be able? Of this is how it is. Embracing. And then we can always build on that. We can think, well, that's. I do have five minutes. We can expand it if we wish. But something that, that, that's sustainable and being creative, this is really fun part of finding ways to... We're so busy in the day. Is it possible in moments at our office or wherever we work or wherever we do or wherever we live to, to have moments of just enjoying standing? Oh, I don't have time to stand. Huh? <laughs> moments.
in our home, maybe having a corner, a room, but even if you don't have a whole room, in places where Tanisha and I have lived, in all sorts of places, I always like, I always can at least have a corner. And I put a picture of, or an image, or flower, things that remind me of the sacred. The sacred's always here and now, but that remind me of how to return to that recognition. And we're habitually, I mean, for me, a, a daily bowing practice, very helpful to me, just to find my body, find my thought, find my heart, and in a moment, return to the ground. And that ground reminds me of the ground, the ground of the heart, the listening, the place where all things come together, the place where we meet everyone, the place where all the saints and sages merge. Or a chant, a phrase. Really, really helpful. In ancient times, there was the recognition of the value of having regular pausing. That's what Sabbath The word Sabbath means stop. In the solar calendar, it was Sunday, but you know, a rhythm of stopping, realigning, remembering what's valuable and important. In the lunar, in in our Buddhist tradition, it was a lunar calendar, still almost like with the new moon, Half moon that's waxing, full moon, half moon that's waning, new moon again. That takes about a week, half moon, two weeks, full moon. The Buddha called those uposita days, observance days. Again, a rhythmic day dedicated to pausing, remembering what's important. Is it possible in our, our lives to even when we're so busy, just pause a little. Do something that helps us remember. Maybe even taking a walk and remembering the, when we get so caught up in stuff, the beauty of light, of green. If we can find a little place where there's some trees. The beauty of being able to enjoy touching our feet to ground feeling our breath, realizing we can receive an in-breath and out-breath, appreciating Mother Earth. Again, allowing consciousness to widen. That's why being in nature is so joyful. It doesn't set up that often a sense of opposition, whereas we can get envious of fellow beings, we rarely, I mean, we could have this problem, but it's not that common. You see a tree and you think, oh, who do you think you are? <laughs> I've got a chainsaw. <laughs> or the sun, we, 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 we don't, we usually don't get jealous of radiance of the sun. We 
open to it, resonate with it, resonate with the lines of nature. That's why it leads to sympathetic joy. Moments of remembering, realigning with our Dharma nature, with a natural nature. So we can all ponder ways in which we can uh, reflect on what is valuable to us and how to irrigate it into our entire daily life. And and just like uh, that uh, baby squirrel and me and Ajahn Chah, we're going to fall down, but we get up. We fall down, we get up. That's what we learn from, and it's it's that's what that's expected. That's natural. That's how it works. And a very important thing that we began with that we'll return to is the, uh, the, the, we've been focusing more on the contemplative. But remember this path, this develop that leads us from suffering to the ending of suffering is, is based on this foundation of ethical living, living with integrity. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll return to the, you know, the importance of refuge and, and uh, precepts on guidelines for living. That remembering that the, um, on the first night I, I, I talked about how the Buddha taught there are eight streams of what's called merit or punya, this, this energy this karma that, here's how he defined it, streams of wholesome nourishments of happiness, heavenly, ripening in happiness, conducive to heaven, streams of that which leads to whatever is wished for, loved, and agreeable, that which leads to our welfare and happiness. Eight streams. First stream is when a noble disciple goes for refuge to the Buddha. This has been a lot of what we've been doing. Going to Buddha means, you know, going to the example of the awakened ones, the saints and sages. And most profoundly, going to, to, to that core, Learning to trust that, to go for refuge in a moment, and then learn to make it important. Uh, and remembering that, going to inner listening, mindfulness, wisdom, compassion. Second stream, going to the refuge, to the Dharma. To that learning to trust in being aware, Buddha, of how things are, the Dharma. Let that be a place where we trust, where we rest being with the truth of things and learning to remember those teachings, those dharmas that help guide us back to harmony with the truth. Going third stream for refuge to the sangha. Remembering the value of a good friend that can set a good example. 
And if we can't even find a good friend, we can maybe read about someone who reminds us. And most profoundly, even when we don't have any books, we don't have any friends, we can befriend. The essence of Sangha is learning to practice, which means befriending that which is good. We can always do that. That's the third stream. Remember the next five streams, which the Buddha said were great gifts, is these five precepts. Here a noble disciple gives up the destruction of life, abstains from it. And by abstaining from the destruction of life, the noble disciple gives to immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. By giving to immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression, he or she themselves will enjoy immeasurable freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression that the five great gifts are are really offering, when we practice refraining from harming, we're offering all the creatures around us, all the beings around us on some level can feel more safe. Second precept, refraining from taking that which doesn't belong to us is a gift so that beings can be, can relax. All these precepts have a, have a range, so we, 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 we deepen it. Third precept is about refraining from sensuality, sexuality that is exploitative, that harms, taking advantage of someone else. breaking up someone else's committed relationship. Uh, When one's getting in this uh, territory, you know, considering we can get blinded by what I want and not be aware, what impact does this have on the other or someone else? So learning to practice uh, restraint here so that we're not taking advantage is, is an offering Speech, so challenging. Refraining from false speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, just meaningless speech. But uh, as a, as a, these challenging gifts, but they're gifts. And it, it, uh, The fifth, refraining from uh, intoxication, which leads to carelessness. All of these can, uh, you know, at first, you know, we can just, you know, can we refrain from killing a person? Even that just is a start. And, uh, you know, I think in this group we have a quite high developed uh, restraint, but seeing that that can be deepened, even just that is a great offering to the world. And then deepening, if it, as our sensitivity deepens to not wanting to harm any creatures, 
even deepening that to being aware of this ground that supports all creatures, Mother Earth, as a part of training ourselves. The guideline of, you know, the second, uh, even big acts of, you know, just cheating, stealing, letting that go, but refining it so that one really notices sometimes how we, you know, just really want to cut corners. Well, nobody will see. Ajahn Chah would say, when we say nobody will see, he would say, but you see, are you a nobody? So learning to, to little by little train ourselves. We think, oh, why go over this? But so much of the suffering in the world right now is happening because we don't keep the precepts. Even if it was just not killing people, even just that, not just stealing, not just exploiting one another, that would be powerful. Fourth, uh, you know, not just telling big uh, whopping lies and, and then the refining that, uh, noticing how our speech, what it, how we use it. Is it to hurt? Sometimes speech can be strong, but it's to warn when it's more skillful. Sometimes it just comes out and... So this is a, a whole area for us to, to reflect on. Similarly with uh, intoxication. Uh, in my youth, in my 20s, that's how I, I let go of stress. I would uh, just get intoxicated in various ways. And on uh, some level, okay, I, I would, uh, didn't feel the pain. But then I would come back and have to deal with the results. Once intoxicated, I drove my friend's Jeep into the lake, thought it was funny. Next day, he didn't think it was so funny. So, you know, and then just remembering, oh, this is our instrument of awakening, is this awareness. And so we're not talking about things being evil, but we're talking about letting go for the sake of treasuring this instrument that sees clearly, that can, can respond. And that any moments of... Um, of skillful restraint, remembering that they're offerings. We might know it, but this little practice here that we've been trying to live together kindly, harmlessly, truthfully, it's been so powerful in these interviews, the level of truth, it's just been so amazing, people truth-telling, even just speaking, letting the words come out of presence. Did you notice the blessing of that in those groups, the the collective wisdom that we have when people just speak from, from what, what's happening and when there's time to hear each other. I don't know, I found that so... Wow, the, the, the resources we have, and yet how often do we do it and forget and then speech is just some kind of weapon. And so really I'd like to thank everyone, you know, for reminding me, you know, this of the, the blessing of what we've done with our restraint, with our cultivation, that this is an offering for all beings.
So for those who, who wish, we, we'll take a, a uh, five-minute uh, break just to stretch and uh, go to the bathroom if need be. But then those who wish, we can in the traditional way uh, go for refuge and undertake these precepts as uh, aligning with these eight great streams of blessing and making the five great gifts that offer immeasurable freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression to countless beings around us. And in time, trusting that we will then experience, as the Buddha said, immeasurable freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. On page four, top of page four, we'll use the ancient framework that's been used since the time of the Buddha. I will uh, recite a line uh, using the, the melody that they use in Sri Lanka. That first line, Namotasa, where we honor the Buddha, and then Tanisra will echo it back, and so those who wish to join in can can chant with uh, Tanisra. Then I'll chant that line again, echo it back, chant that line again, echo it back as we honor the Great Awakened One. Then the next paragraph is Bhutang Saranangachami. I'll chant that line. It means I go. It's present tense for refuge. Then those who wish to join in can chant back with Tanisra. Then Damang, Saranangachami, call and response system. Sankang, Saranangachami. Then Dutiyampi means for the second time. We go through. And then Tatiyampi for the third time. So this is not just a momentary intention. Uh, when an intention is important to us, to return to awareness of the way things are and to be committed to befriending or practicing. If that's important, then we, we want to turn that intention into a commitment, something we trust. That's what refuge means. That's why dutiyampi tatiyampi, we're repeating to 
underline our recognition of this is this is important. Then in the precepts, number one, I will recite the line in Pali, and then Tanisra will recite it, and people can join in, and then together we'll recite the English. And uh, we'll go through the precepts like that. And then at the end, just chant together three times, Om Shanti, because, uh, because we're offering this peace to all beings, to ourselves and to all beings. This is for the welfare of everyone. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama samputtassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama samputtassa Namo tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samaha Samputasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambodasa Putang Saranangachami Putang Saranangachami Tamang Saranangachami Tamang Saranangachami Sankang Saranangachami Sankang Saranangachami Dutiyam Pibuttang Saranangachami Dutiyam Pibuttang Saranangachami Dutiyam Pitamang Saranangachami Dutiyam Pitamang Saranangachami Dutiyam Pisangang Saranangachami Dutiyam Pisangang Saranangachami Tatiyam Pibuttang Saranangachami Tatiyam Pibuttang Saranangachami Tatiyam Pitamang Saranangachami Tatiyam Pitamang Saranangachami Tatiyam Pisangang Saranangachami Tatiyam Pisangang Saranangachami 
พานาติปตาเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมีพานาติปตาเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมี I undertake the training to refrain from intentionally taking life. อดินนาดันนาเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมีอดีนาจานาเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมี I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. กามเอสุมิจจาราเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมีกามเอสุมิจจาราเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมี I undertake the training to refrain from misuse of sexuality and the senses. มุสาวาดาเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมีมุสาวาดาเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมี I undertake the training to refrain from speech that is false, divisive, harsh, or meaningless. สุลาเมรัยมัจจปมาตตานาเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมีสุราเมรัยมัจจปมาตตานาเวรมณีสิกกาปตังสมาติอัมมี I undertake the training to refrain from intoxication, which leads to carelessness. Om Shanti. Om Shanti. Thank you, Kirisara. Um, <clears throat> so um, there's a little time before we formally close, close, close in uh, about 25 minutes, and um, you start to connect and speak a little, and maybe some of you stay for lunch and then um, uh, find your way back home. 
so I just want to open the space and see if there's anything else uh, to ask about or mention that you'd like to say or comment on or anything um, from anything we've said that you'd like to um, to ask about in terms of the Dharma. And um, I just uh, want to um, context actually something that's quite important that um, our teacher Ajahn Chah would always uh, say after every Dharma talk um, that um, whatever is uh, what's been offered uh, from um, through this practice through us during this retreat um, whatever is uh, useful for you please do take and bring it into your life in the way that works for you but if it doesn't uh, wasn't uh, meaningful or wasn't uh, appropriate for you or wasn't right or didn't land well or um, then to leave it you can leave it with us <laughs> so this important part of the practice is that we discern that we don't just it's not a articles of faith um, in this practice that you take on board unless you discern wisely in fact that's a really important and responsible part of this practice to discern wisely so that you can actually um, own and embody what really is authentic for you in terms of the Dharma growing in your life and if anything was uh, we do also ask for any forgiveness or apologize if anything that we did say was um, hurtful or not uh, well landed you know sometimes that does happen and it's not the intention but stuff comes out of the mouth sometimes <laughs> you don't um, you don't really want it to affect or impact in an unfortunate way but if that happens then really we it's not our intention and we apologize so that you can really just want to I uh, want you to really feel that you can be empowered to use the teachings and the practice in the way that fits your life, your culture, your way of understanding and working with the Dharma. There are so many different ways, so many different Dharma doors, and there's not one right way of doing it. So, please. <clears throat> Thank you so much. I shall giggle more. There's, um, again, it's, there's you know, not an exact set form, but um, you know, it is a Mahayana practice, and generally there's a sense of touching the, you know, the, the idea of the three streams of karma, body, speech, and mind, heart, body, speech, and heart. It, you know, when it takes those, the, the, the mind and the heart, and then the body into the bow. So it's a way of referencing that idea. Um, but it's, you know, it's not an exact science, so, <laughs> yeah. 
you can uh, adjust. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, well done. Linda <laughs> Mary. Yes. Joseph. Harry Randolph. Are those African names or dominates? When uh, we ordained. Uh, uh, as monk and nun, the, the tradition was, uh, in Thailand, the tradition was, depending on the day of the week you were born, I was a Monday baby, the, uh, the abbot picks uh, a name in the language that the Buddha spoke, or close to what he spoke, that I had the letters K, I think, M, and, or G that he could have choose, chosen from. They all mean something good. They don't call you the wicked one or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know, they, um, they almost called me Maracino, which uh, <laughs> s- sounds a bit like a mafia boss, but it means the, the conqueror of evil. But uh, Ajahn Sumedho and then Ajahn Chah gave me the name, picked Kitisara, which means uh, uh, worthy of honor, which I thought was really, he liked the sound, but also I had gotten a lot of honors and was so focused on that. This name was being worthy rather than whether anybody notices or not, can you live in a way that's worthy of honor? So, you know, I really treasure that name from Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Sumedho. And uh, yeah, my teacher Ajahn Sumedho gave me my name, um, and uh, he was my, um, one of my preceptors anyway, and the, the word Tan, like um, Satipatthana in the Four Foundations, Tana means to foundation. Base. And Isra is connected in Sanskrit with the word Ishvara, which uh, has the connotation of creator or lord, um, the one that creates, Ishvara, Isra. In, in Thailand, they translate it as freedom. So the, the, the meaning I was given was foundation in freedom. So I'm inspiring too. <laughs> um, and we didn't, you know, when we left the monastery... Um, for a while, I reverted to my um, pre-ordained name, but then when we went, uh, invited to teach in South Africa, um, Akitis always liked his name, so he kept it. But I felt, well, as I'll be representing Buddhism, the Dharma, probably I should use this name, and it has the most history for me of working in the Dharma. So then I went back to use that name. Yes. Mm. Uh, it's, it evokes a listening to the sounds of the world, mm. and I'm, I'm wondering if you could like, if there is anything to um, why listening, why not seeing? Oh uh, yeah, that's a really good question. This comes from us, the Mahayana Sutra, the Shurangama Sutra, and um, the listening capacity was considered well, there are many different reasons, but in the the classical text, in the transmission of um, when Kuan Yin uh, tells her a method of awakening. It comes out of a teaching when the Buddha is um, trying to um, help Ananda who's gone astray. And there's a whole backstory to that. And so he calls together 20 
five bodhisattvas and, 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 and our hearts and these are enlightened people and ask each for their method of awakening so the sutra lays out the methods of awakening and um, the last one is Avalokiteshvara Kuan Yin talks about listening to sound and returning sound it's, like, it's, the, it's actually the fundamental text that, that emer- from which the Zen school emerges because it's basically returning the mind back to mind through the activity of listening and then as she records her enlightenment moment, she talks about the efficacy of sound because sound is more further reaching than the other senses. Not thinking, of course, but the sight you can only see to the wall, but sound you can hear beyond. And, and sound is um, also connected more subtly with the listening nature, which is connected with the, the heart and compassion. She's also known as the compassionate one, the one that listens. Um, so it's also not just listening literally to sound, although that's the first entryway, but it's beginning to listen into the heart at a, at a deeper level. It's listening into the listening nature. And when one listens into the listening nature, one starts to hear all other beings. One hears the world. Not literally, maybe, in the literal sound, but one hears the world. One is in touch with the world. And, and then that, from that heart, there's the response of compassion when one's listening. So I, but uh, you add something? Yeah, and, and listening combined with reflections. So the Sanskrit name Avalokiteshvara sometimes is translated contemplative ease. So it's listening and contemplating. So it's not just that only listen and, and don't use the other senses. But, but seeing can, if we're not careful, very easily lead to uh, duality. Whereas in listening, sometimes it's easier to get a feeling of, of being in the midst of, being with. Um, but just as Tanisara, you know, says, it's uh, w- when you return any of the senses, when we're so stuck on outer things, everything's separate. But when we start turning back to the listening or knowing nature, all the different so-called separate senses start to merge, you know, because this is the place where everything comes together in the place of, uh, of knowing. Um, it's also in the, the um, hearing, like in the Bardo Todo, which is a Tibetan text, like liberation through hearing, it's about uh, hearing is the faculty on the moment of death that's still the last sensory door that's open. And so there's the guiding of the consciousness through, you know, this is a very ancient sort of text to do with guiding the death process through... Um, through speaking and talking to the one that's in the process of dying, through through them being able to still hear even post the last breath. As in that system, the dying process is still continuing even though the breath has stopped. There's still the subtle movement of consciousness as it leaves. And then on entry into an, at conception and as growing in the womb, the listening faculty is one that's uh, that's quite strong, the hearing. The, the the being can hear, and um, so it's it's also considered a sort of um, permeable kind of an a, a maybe a sense that's maybe it's because it's connected with this fundamental consciousness in a way that's um, that is more uh, that it's somehow deeper or more rooted. Maybe I don't, I don't know what the science of the emerging of the senses is, but it's. Um, yeah, it's, there's many different reasons about that. Mm. 
even even in the classical definition of sangha that we chanted every day, um, on page page two, it's supatipano uh, bhagavato savaka sangko. The sangha is those beings that savaka. Uh, that means they they uh, listen to the sounds. Uh, that come from the Bhagavato, from the Blessed One. So the sound hearers, when we listen to the sounds of Dharma and aligns our life with that. So it, it is a... Uh, and, and, and listening can allow us to be in harmony. All the senses are important, obviously. Uh, but uh, it is... Uh, uh, our thoughts so much complicate life in the world when we start uh, listening into the heart and to thoughts, as those start to get uh, emptied, uh, then we can uh, return a little more to peace. Um, we're very lucky on this retreat to have a... We never would have been able to do this uh, retreat without uh, help. And we have a very, very good listener here <laughs> in Dara who has a, a wise and kind and capable heart of listening, and from that heart of listening, she's able to uh, respond well. So we've been so, so fortunate to uh, have you helping us guide this retreat, Dara. Uh, thank you. Uh, Tanissa and Kitasara actually have been very kind to me. They didn't demand that I sit here in silence for the uh, seven days. As a matter of fact, Tanissa offered me the opportunity to give a Dharma talk um, at some point during the retreat. Um, And it was my uh, needing and wanting to take on this seat in a way that I could manage that I declined. However, (laughs) (laughs) she clearly stated next year it will be your time so (laughs) um, I just wanted to say um, uh, about to your practice and your listening and your willingness to have me be engaged with you in a way that hopefully supported you in moving forward and deepening your practice and I wanted to say I'm so grateful and appreciative to Tanisara and Kitasaro. Um, I am blessed, blessed to be trained by them. And although the bar is high, (laughs) (laughs) I figure that um, there's some reason that I ended up being with them as my trainers, um, as my mother and father in the Dharma as I move forward into becoming a Dharma teacher. So thank you. Thank you, Deva. Thank you. Yeah, I'd also, um, when we're in this sort of gratitude mode, is uh, to, uh, I don't know, I don't think they're here, but just to express gratitude for the people behind the scenes, right? Particularly, you know, that help it all happen. Cooks and people cooking and managing and doing the office, and they're they're spectacular. And um, this, uh, they they really, uh, this institution really thought a lot about how to try and make... uh, 
make the Dharma uh, accessible and run things in a way to give all of us as much comfort and support as possible. And, um, you know, it's, I say, you know, I say to them, you know, it's a bit like when we work in South Africa, it's a bit like we're on a bamboo bicycle, you know, it's really tough. Our, our conditions, we, we, we sort of hang on by our fingertips most of the time, um, developing what we do, our little hermitage, and then the, the, the support that we try and bring to the, the community around us. Um, so when we arrive here, it's a bit like getting in a Rolls Royce, you know. It's like, wow, this is unbelievable, you know. <laughs> so I feel very spoilt and very luxuriating in that. It's been great. Um, I just want to take five minutes, if I may, uh, to just talk a little bit about um, South Africa, as some of you have asked about it. And so you're very welcome if you ever find you're uh, wishing to come and visit us. Um, uh, we do run longer retreats, month-long, every year. And quite often now, people come from overseas. Um, we also, occasionally, when we can get enough steam to do it, we run even three months. It's a while since we've done that, because <laughs> it's quite a, a lot. But we uh, And we do from time to time. Well, actually, I've done it now every year for the last few years. Um, organize um, sometimes in in coordination with the with the month long retreat a tour, so that uh, you can actually get a sense for the beauty. People that come, join in. It's a, a magnificent, uh, in spite of its very um, troubled history and so on. That um, possibly one of the reasons why it's been able to make the transitions that it's made is because the whole context of the journey of South Africa has been set in this most magnificent landscape and maybe possibly because of that it's also why it's had so many conflicts, people fighting over the land, but it's actually an, a tremendously um, powerful uh, elemental land and it's the land where you really feel still that nature is in charge nice to feel that when our, when we feel we've dominated so much and, and subdued nature um the the particularly where we are in the mountains with the elemental storms and and the and um the access still to a lot of wilderness and and particularly in some of the the parks the very big parks um where there's still uh, the the um like in the Kruger Park, it's as big as Britain, England, not the whole of Britain. It's very big, and it's still being able to conserve, conserve uh, wild, the wild animals in their own habitat and parks near us from Fulosi and Shlushlui, which were the first parks to, to uh, protect some of the animals. And then the coastline and the, excuse me, talking about the Indian Ocean and um, the, you know, the different geographies there so Joyce came uh, this uh, a few months ago right and joined us for, yeah and um, so if you want to know more about these things and also we do run a, an online program and actually we're in the process of just putting that up on our website so that uh, people can just download it it's a three module program each module is uh, 12 weeks and the first module focuses a lot on the cultivation of samadhi, the jhana factors, and the um, uh, ethical um, and paramita, the spiritual perfections. The second module is a lot about um, samadhi, uh, wisdom practice, insight, deathless, uh, non-dual. And then the last um, module is about the compassion practices and the bodhicitta, bodhisattva, mahayana practices. So... 
That's been, we've been, um, we developed that actually for South Africans because it was geographically hard for them to sometimes travel to where we are, we're a bit remote. But now it's become, gone out internationally and then a friend, a very dear friend of ours, uh, also a uh, former monastic, has honed, helped us honed the course. And now we feel it's good enough just to put up online. So that will be available soon. You can... Um, I don't know, I think they might put a mailing list up there. You can sign on and we can let you know what's happening, what our events are, including the retreats and things we offer here in the US as well as in South Africa and sometimes in Europe and sometimes in Israel as well. Um, Just to also alert you to the... uh, We did bring some... um, some um, merchandise <laughs> being in America. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so this, uh, if you wish, there are some, there's the CD, Namo Kwan Shi we did the early morning bowing to some, they're, they're not, we haven't got a lot of copies, so you can always email us if you didn't get one. There's um, chants and mantras here that I put together with two of my very dear friends, one from the UK, one from South Africa, um, which um, people have found very helpful, very supportive, and the words for the mantras is uh, on the website, or will be soon. And then Kitty Sarah's brother, who's from Nashville, is a really beautiful pianist, and he's uh, put together, it's only a few of these because we ran out, they're so popular, but it's very, why we bring them to retreat, because if nothing else works, and you need calming down, then this will really do it. It's very, very, very soulful and beautiful and calming uh, music. And then... Um, I, I, the last two CDs? The last two, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. They're fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So <laughs> and also very awesome. And I really want you to get this. And if they, you know, they're all on Dana, so if your purse is feeling a bit empty, and please just take one. Um, There's a couple of poetry books. One that I wrote after my 12 years. I was going to say my 12 years incarceration, but my 12 years as a monastic. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one is a more recent one from the 20 years of working and being in South Africa, which really is... Um, contrasting the teaching of the Heart Sutra, which is about a seamless world in contrast with the walls that we create um, through this um, this objectifying mind and the and how you know tracking that from early the early early colonial history um, to apartheid to the the ultimate wall against our deeper heart and awareness and against the earth. And then it's a sort of, it's a bit of a tough poem. I wrote it in poetry form because it was just too long of a story to write in a book. So it's a poetic form. It just sort of takes the essence out of of various kinds of ways of speaking to this and then moving to more redemptive aspects of the heart. Um, And also um, bringing into the poem the voices of the Khoisan, the Bushmen, who... Very, we're very aware of their presence, although they were not, they were genocided, not physically present, but their presence is everywhere in the land, particularly where we are. So to bring their worldview into the poem, and and their voice for us to still partake of. So, um, yeah, the the heart of the bitter almond hedge sutra. The Bitter Almond Hedge was a hedge that was uh, built by the first settlers in the 1600s, 
when they first landed in Cape Town and they um, wanted to separate themselves out from Africa. And um, the, that really, there was this first sort of planting of the internalization of what grew to become apartheid. Um, and that hedge, you can still see that hedge in the Kirsten Bosch Gardens, which are beautiful botanical gardens. But it's an analogy that I, I use quite a lot in terms of the hedge and the walls that we create and, and, and the need to somehow, through this practice, through taking a breath at a time, to dissolve and leap beyond those walls, to have the courage to do that. So if you uh, wish, uh, wish to, please uh, take copies. Um, if you make any dana offerings in response, that's gratefully appreciated, and it will go to our work in South Africa. Yes, sir. I was kind of curious, how do you come to be based in South Africa? Okay, I'm just going to really briefly... Okay, so i just very briefly answer this, and we're going to disclose for now, and also to say... Um, I'm sorry we can't answer everyone's uh, notes. We've got a lot of new wallpaper up there <laughs> on notes. <laughs> um, but uh, we, um, you can uh, write, we, our website is there. We were invited to, to South Africa 20 years ago to teach Dharma. There's a center that was there, it's still there in Akopo, which is in KwaZulu. And then from there we emerged the Hermitage. So that's how it came about. And that was a link through our monastic school. They were originally invited. And the person that was going to go, who was a Vietnam vet, he he couldn't do it. And he landed up uh, dying the year before of a brain tumor that he uh, got from the, uh, from a wound, being wounded in Vietnam. So we took his place. Um, and we always felt that his name was Anando, that he was somehow, he was really a warrior kind of person, that he was part of our journey there. It's been part of our journey. I, I'm going to... Right. Sorry. Please do take these, the chanting sheets, and you'll find all the chants and more on our website. You can download the chants. You can download the, the sheets. And can we send you, you can always send us Dana. There's details on... <laughs> There's yeah, we have, a, we have, a, we have a, a collection point here in the U.S., through PayPal. Yeah, it's, on, it's all on the website. And you can email us if any other questions. So let's just um, finish formally our retreat together. Let's take a few moments, just take a minute or two to do that. And again, just taking a deepening breath. Breathing in all the goodness of our shared practice. And as we breathe out, just allowing that goodness to ripple out to each other and to all involved here at IMS and the land here and further out into the villages and towns and cities and across this vast land, across the great oceans to all the continents and islands, including in our awareness, 
this great earth and all her many species and beings, may we share the goodness of our practice in the wish and the hope and the intention that all beings are free from suffering, that all beings are safe and protected, that all beings know peace and happiness. May we share the blessings of our practice to our teachers, those that have gone before us and have handed down the teachings and to those that will come after us. May this Dharma wheel turn and respond within the times that we live. May we share the blessings of our practice with our parents and our ancestors. They be liberated and with our children and their children. And lastly, may we share the blessings of our practice again with this great earth. Our gratitude, our appreciation, our love. May we increase our awareness. And may all our activity be in the service of the lessening of suffering for all. Using this great mantra, Om Mani Padme Hum, the heart mantra of Kuan Yin, to carry this intention into the world around us.
samsara. Go well, everyone. Safe journeys home. And see you again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.